It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 733. That is 733 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. We have another great episode on tap for you today. On this week's Accelerate, my guest is Bill Bice. Bill is the CEO of Boomtime, a digital marketing agency. And in this week's episode, Bill and I will be talking about how to harness word-of-mouth marketing to create your own sales boom. So in our conversation today, Bill and I dive into how to bring scale and efficiency to your marketing, how to leverage word-of-mouth in your lead generation efforts, how to capture and nurture the leads that are already coming into your business, how to use challenger sale methods to create great content, and how to drive the customer experience on your website. All that and much, much more. Now, before we get to Bill... I want to talk to you a minute about VanillaSoft. VanillaSoft is the industry's leading sales engagement platform, but most people simply refer to it as the solution. It's the solution to ensure sales development reps make the right number of attempts for every lead. It's the solution to ensure sales development reps use more than just email, you know, that they consistently use LinkedIn and perhaps even the dreaded telephone as part of their sales playbook. It's the solution to serve the sales development rep the next best lead over and over again, so they hit their numbers. The solution starts with the right sales cadence, and that's why you need to check out VanillaSoft's guide on sales cadences. You can get your copy. It's titled Sales Cadences, What Works, What Doesn't, and Why You're Frustrated. And you can get your copy now at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. That is at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. Okay, let's jump into it today. Bill, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, a pleasure to have you on. Um, so for pe- folks who aren't familiar with, with your company, Boomtime, so tell us what you do. Well, so Boomtime is all about bringing scale and efficiency to marketing, which I think is the, the thing that, that the discipline of marketing has done a really good job of avoiding for a long time. <laughs> and, and so we, we, we do marketing as a, as a service and our whole approach is, is to bring technology and the expertise for, for how to implement it and put it to work together. Because a lot of companies don't, don't really have the, the desire or bandwidth to, to implement all of the stuff that you really need in order to, to do marketing in a consistent and effective way. So we, we just produce the end result and, and deliver that to our clients. And the thing that's so much fun about that is we learn so much in doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So we know about the data. And so we get to see the data across hundreds of clients. And so we just, you know, we see things so much more quickly by aggregating all that together and seeing, you know, seeing that across uh, a whole, whole group of businesses with you know, similar goals. Interesting. Different business types then. So you can serve, I think that's sort of interesting. See if you could normalize data across various industries. That to me would be be of interest. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the reasons that we've really specialized in the sort of B2B and professional services area is because we found that the essentially the same strategies and tactics work across a lot of different industries. As long as we're talking about things that are you know, a high value, impactful kind of, of sale, mm-hmm. you know, same, same approach works. And so being able to, to leverage that across all those different markets and, you know, cross pollinate those experiences has been a lot of fun. So you focus primarily on small business, it sounds like, and what sort of, what was the impetus to start this company? It was, what was your background? It was my frustration with getting marketing for all of my companies. <laughs> so 
you know, I, I feel like I was born an entrepreneur. I started a software company when, when I was 18, I had no idea what I was doing. So it took mm-hmm. me a long time to, to grow that company, but we, you know, eventually became uh, number one in, in our niche. And I've gone on to, to uh, found or invest in a, in a number of companies with a lot of B2B focus. And, you know, amazingly, there's this really strong correlation to the cases where we really focused on go-to-market and nailed it to the level of success that we had. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, you do all this hard work to create a great product or service. How good you are at marketing really determines whether you get the payoff or not. <laughs> yes. And if you're, you know, if you're spending your own money on marketing, you really want it to, you, you want a real ROI there. So I, I just, I found it a really interesting problem to go after. And so you've been doing this how long? Uh, for, for six years in this, this focus of what in we're focus. doing. And so take a certain average of customer experience with this. I mean, so they come to you, they say a small business professional services provider and say, yeah, we need help. What's, what's it look like then for them? So what I really want is a client. I mean, one of my first questions is, is almost always I'm sitting down with the, the CEO, the business owner, I'll say, okay, where, where'd your last couple of clients come from? And what I'm looking for is, oh, it was a referral from, mm-hmm. because that's the kind of business where the approach that we take is, is amazingly effective. I and mean, we talk about word of mouth marketing. Right. It's one form of marketing that just absolutely works. And in this day and age, we have this amazing ability to really amplify the effect of, of word of mouth. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's what we're focused on. So we start by sitting down with a, a client and we have a very structured interview process to dive in, really understand their business. Uh, and, and the way I look at it is they've already done all the really hard work, right? They're, they're taking care of their clients. Now we get to do the really easy part, which is leverage that in order for more people to understand the, the great work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, it's, it's, really, it's really a content-driven approach to marketing. It's, um, you know, it's things that you've, uh, you've certainly spent a lot of time talking about, but it's, it's really positioning that CEO and their business as thought leaders and building the, the foundation of their marketing. So over and over again, we run into the, the same set of issues. Like if we just put, if we do three things better, if we are better at capturing the referrals and leads that are already coming in, mm-hmm. and if we're better at following up on those leads, and then if we're better at staying top of mind with this now larger audience that we're growing. So what we're doing is just building that marketing foundation for business after business to do those things really well. And, and it's just, you know, it's essentially battling the the, the salespeople are, are human. And so right. like if you don't see a commission check in the next 60 to 90 days, that lead doesn't tend to get followed up on. Right. But if we build it into our process and put marketing automation in place and make sure that we're following up on everybody, you know, really good things happen. Yeah, I imagine a lot of the companies that you're working with have small sales teams, right? Yeah, it's typically two to 10 sales reps. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine they would appreciate that sort of support. And it's, you know, some of this battling just the, the I mean, I, I'm a big fan of CRMs, but CRMs have long been built the wrong way, right? They're for right. sales managers, not for right. sales people. Right. We all face this battle. I mean, this is, we're in the business of doing this, and I have a tough time getting our sales team to use our CRM system. <laughs> but yet, the magic that happens if you actually capture everybody who's in your audience, every client, every prospective client, you get them into that central database, and then you do the really hard part, which, I mean, 90% of the effort should be around coming up with really great content. Mm-hmm. 
insight driven new perspective that you're bringing the, the, you know, the number one mistake in marketing is talking about yourself. Right. And so if we just stop doing that, if, if we focus on the challenges that our audience has and we put our effort into creating really great content, and then we just get these functional pieces in place so that we're capturing our leads and staying in front of everybody, you know, most businesses, the growth they want is just sitting right there. It's just, but we have to put all this process into place in order to really make it work well. Got it. Well, you started alluding to something that, that I know is important to you, which, and you talk a lot about on the, I know on your podcast and, um, which is the challenger sale. <clears throat> so, okay. um, you seem quite taken with it. Uh, so <laughs> why is that? Well, I really like the, I really like the approach and, you know, in the end, the challenger sale is just an insight driven approach to selling. And the, the bottom line is creating this experience where every prospective client that you sit down with is better off because they met you, whether they ever right. buy anything from you or not. Exactly. They're in a better place because what you're doing is leveraging your experience across working with hundreds or thousands of businesses like that one prospect that allows you to bring insight and perspective to them that you know, they're running their own company, but, but they're running their own company. Mm-hmm. And you have this perspective across the whole industry. So if you leverage that and bring it to the table, it's, it's amazingly effective. And, and so what you see, I mean, all the research for the Challenger sale was done in Fortune 500 companies. But we've seen a tremendous amount of success taking those same techniques and applying it to the small sales teams that we're talking about. And one of the, the stats that comes out of their research that, that is just so compelling is that the best performing sales reps spend a third of their time building their own marketing material. Right. Imagine if the company who's in a much better place to actually do that than one individual sales rep is, no matter how good they are. Imagine you took the combined experience of, of your whole sales team and your client services operation and use that to create this insight driven marketing material. Now your best sales reps suddenly have a third more time to sell and you're empowering your other sales reps to do a better job of taking that, that same approach that is, that is so much more effective. Yeah, I'm more of a skeptic on that whole thing. I mean, I think that, <laughs> that yeah, I saw the stat similar, which was actually reps spend 35% of their time modifying marketing materials. <laughs> um, but I don't think they, you give them an extra 30% of time, you know, for decades, they've only spent a third of their time selling. And I don't think that's ever going to change. But to your second point, which is, yeah, let's make them more effective in that time they have that they are selling. And that's, and to the other point you brought, which is relevant to the challenger, which is, yeah, be much more focused on what the buyer's experience is working with you during that time, as opposed to making it about yourself. Yeah, I mean, buyers are coming to the table so much more educated now, and they have access to, to so much resources and information. I think the question you really have to ask yourself in running your own business is, are you going to be part of that education process? Or are you going to allow your prospective clients to be learning from everywhere else? And, and really, the only way you can create new sales opportunities is, is to become part of that process. And if all you want to do is take orders, that's fine. But if you really want to drive your business and and drive the sales process, then I think you you have to get into the business of, of educating your audience and, and driving insight and perspective to them. Yeah, and I think there's, I don't want to say it's a new wrinkle, but I think we're going to hear more about it because Gartner's latest rev of research is coming out here next week, actually, at their conference in, 
in uh, Las Vegas, which <laughs> just FYI, people listening to this, it will have been long gone by the time we hear this. Um, is the talk about the, the necessity for salespeople to help buyers now, yes, they have access to information, but now we need to help them make sense of it. And I think that's that next level of insight really is, is yeah, you've got a lot of information. They're not necessarily confused. I think this whole confusion and overwhelm idea with buyers is overdone. I mean, we're smart people. There's been a book written by some professors at Stanford talk about their research says, yeah, people aren't overwhelmed by data, but they do want somebody to help them make sense of what they've learned. And I think that really becomes an important part of this whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And and you know, you just see it in the 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 more your sales team is seen as consultants, the more word of mouth is going to to work for you. And you take every prospect you talk to, even even someone you don't sell becomes a referral source for you because you gave them value in that sales process. Well, do you think we've we serve again? I hate, hate to overuse my <laughs> term of the word overdo, overdone, but do you think we overdo this whole idea of of salespeople being consultants because? Uh, you know, I think they even talk about in the challenger sales. It's, it's more about, I see it more as leadership, really. Is it, they talk about leading the buyer to a solution. Um, and I've always thought that same thing. Is that, you know, as an individual seller, you're fundamentally in a leadership position. Because if you look at the, the responsibilities of leaders, one of the things they do is they enroll people behind a vision. You know, they inspire people to take action. And these are things that, that leaders do. And I... I Wonder is it really a consultant? Or is it really leadership? I think it almost depends on the salesperson you're talking to in terms of what's the right way to give them a different way to look at what they do so that they they move in the right direction. So if you have somebody who's really good at the relationship and really good at the sales technique side, they need to add that consultative approach to what they do in order to really leverage the strengths that they have. Then you can have somebody who really is truly is a consultant and therefore is not that good of a salesperson. And they really need the sales skills in order to be able to bring those things together. So it's, you, you got to put all those pieces together to really be truly effective as a, uh, particularly for B2B sales where the, you know, the level of knowledge and experiences uh, can be very high in these kind of impactful transactions. Yeah. Well, a question I'm sort of interested in your perspective on is, is this idea about, because again, back to challenger sale, they they talk somewhat disparagingly about what they can classify as relationship sellers, um, and I think, quite honestly, I think they completely misunderstand what a relationship means in sales. Uh, and just sort of interested, what your your take on that was? Yeah, I, I think I think they're wrong about that in in the overall picture of of how you just read it. I think the piece that they have right is that. When you talk about a very traditional relationship only driven salesperson, mm-hmm. they're not going to be as effective. That's really the point they're trying to make, but they don't do it very clearly because by far the most successful salesperson is someone who is really good at building relationships and leveraging them. It's just that's not the only thing you can rely on. You've got to bring all these other pieces to the table. But would, would you rather have somebody who is, you know, is only good at understanding your business and 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 isn't able to build the relationship. I mean, obviously, you're going to do better if you put both of those together. Yeah, well, and I agree. And I think, but I think where the misunderstanding comes, I've been thinking a lot about this recently because there's a lot written online these days about 
people again denigrating this whole idea of relationships and sales and you know I want respect I want a relationship yada yeah which I again don't get me started on that one um, is I think the to be able to execute a challenge or sale you need to have a certain type of relationship with the buyer right you have to have trust you have to have credibility have to have some acumen sort of leads back to trust so I started looking at the construct of uh, when Adam Grant and his books talks about the difference between givers and takers, is I think that if you're that superficial relationship person, that yeah, the pale fellow, well met stereotype, you know, used car salesperson, you're a taker, right? You really don't have anything to give. You're just taking some of their time, some of their energy, but at the end of the day, you've got nothing to give that really helps them. But if you're a giving relationship person, then you have value for for the buyer, and it affects that that uh, buying experience. And so, I think people get on their high horse about relationships. It's like they're still, and I think even unfortunately, Kevin and Brent sort of fell into that trap a little bit with with the book. Is that yeah, it's not about friendships. I mean, if for order to me to be a real value provider to you, you need to trust me. You need to you know be enrolled in this vision I'm I'm creating. And if you're not, when we don't have that relationship, that's not going to happen. Yeah, you, you can't sell without relationships. So I, I think they have a, I think they're making a good point, but did it in a way that it doesn't really come across. And so it's just that it, you, you, you can't be successful today just relying on going to lunch and playing golf. You, you really have to bring value to the relationship. That's what they're trying to say. I just don't think it comes across very clearly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I love the Challenger customer. I say I think that's a, a better book in my estimation. I love I love the Challenger customer, and they talk about. I think they reframe it. You know, they talk about the more from the customer perspective. Is you know, salespeople get sucked into the customers that will talk to anyone. Well, that's who those sort of superficial relationship people on the sales side. That's who they get drawn to, right? Those are like magnets. Yeah, I get some of the customer side that will talk, and I'm comfortable because they're not challenging me at all. Um, and I think that's where a lot of this, like I said, the stereotype comes in. Um, I think that's a great insight. And what I've seen work really well is taking that challenger sale approach and applying it to the general marketing message that, that you're pushing out to your audience. So do that same thing. Challenge your audience. Say, say things that are, that are actually interesting, somewhat controversial, because that's how you get attention to what makes you know, makes your solution unique. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think, yeah, I think we gravitate to all being the same. Uh, we do. And, and so many small businesses, they see, well, the way I need to, what I need to do to compete against these much larger companies is I need to look corporate. I need to look like them. And I, I have exactly the opposite argument, which is the main benefit you have, your competitive advantage is to put a face on the business. There's, there's real people standing behind your solution. So take, take full advantage of that. It's, it's, the, it's the second thing that should be on your website. The first thing is, is what do you do? Mm-hmm. The second thing is, who are you? And when you look at B2B websites, the second most visited page after the homepage it's is price. always the about us page. It's always what? It's always the about us page. Oh, I thought it was price. <laughs> no, it's, it, you, you don't get to price until they understand who they who you are because right. they don't care about right. whether they would ever do business with you without understanding who you are. They, your large competitor doesn't have to do that because they you know they're sort of overshadowing the market with sure. with presence and brand. 
your advantage is is that you're real. And so take, you know, put that put that right at the front of, of, of the story that you are telling. And then make sure that you're really controlling that customer journey. Because the other thing you'll see is you'll go to the About Us page and you'll scroll down to the bottom. So one, it'll be really boring bios as opposed to something that really sells you on mm-hmm. that team's passion for why they do this. Right. And then you'll get to the bottom of the page and there'll be nothing there. It'll be up to your prospective client to go figure out, oh, here's what I ought to go look at next. Right. Why not control that customer journey and tell right. the story exactly the way you want to tell it? Right. So a question for you, because yeah, you, you build a lot of websites as part of your business, seems like from from visiting your site. Is is part of the sort of sameness that we see across so many companies in the marketing, how much is that is driven by SEO and you know the fact that people want to track to certain keywords and if they're trying to say, look, I'm trying to I want to be different, right? I want to have this this unique positioning, but no one looks for the keywords for it. So I got to sort of be like them, and they sort of then up straddling, and which doesn't seem like it's very successful. Well, it, it, it's not, and competing for the same keywords that are what your large competitors are very successful with as as a small company, you really have zero chance of, of right. being in. So it makes no sense to do that anyway. And SEO has so dramatically changed over the last four or five years. I mean, the vast majority of what's sold to small businesses SEO is. I mean, there are good SEO companies out there, but it's hard not to just say most of it's a scam because <laughs> SEO has changed so dramatically. Right. Anybody who, who claims that, I mean, it's not possible to guarantee that you're going to be number one on Google for anything. Right. Anybody who's doing offsite SEO work, who's not charging you at least two or three grand a month, isn't doing any real work. So it's really easy to filter out whether they're putting real effort into this or not, because there is no several hundred dollar thing that's going to do offsite SEO in a, in a successful way. Mm-hmm. So that's the negative part of SEO. The positive thing is that it has changed in a way that's really beneficial to us from a small business side, because we don't have to play, we don't have to live in these two worlds anymore where we're writing for robots on one side and then maybe paying attention to the actual people we want to sell on the other side. Google has gotten so good now that they're evaluating your website like a human does. So we can give up a lot of those games and really just focus on what's the best message that provides really valuable content to our best prospects. The reason Google gives away Google Analytics is because the data they get from that is invaluable. Right. If somebody comes to your website and finds what they're looking for and spends time on your website, your SEO just went up. If they come to your website because you gamed them into getting there with the with you know keyword strategy that just happened to get them there, but then they immediately hit the back button, your SEO just went down. Mm-hmm. So we're actually in a much better world, particularly for small business and SEO, because you, you don't have to play all those same games that, that honestly did work 10, 15 years ago, but they're they're really negative at this point. Interesting. Yeah, because that's 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 it's a big industry, but it's a big thing, um, especially for small business. And then the best way to be successful at SEO is is actually we can tie all these things together because if we have a steady flow of really great content. And so you're putting a couple of new longer form articles on your website every month, month in and month out forever. That's great for SEO. And that same content is exactly what we're going to email to people. We're going to post on LinkedIn. how we're going to stay in front of our audience. So we can take one core strategy and cover all of, uh, you know, all of these channels. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, 
I, I want to talk about LinkedIn because this is, I know, something that, that you've talked about that you use, have used to build your business. And most people who listen to the show or <laughs> spend time on LinkedIn. Um, what's done it for you? I mean, what's the strategies that have really worked for you on LinkedIn? So the, the analogy I love for LinkedIn is that it's the ideal networking event. I get to invite just the people I want to meet there. And, uh, and I, I don't have to eat high calorie food while I'm, while I'm there. <laughs> high calorie, bad food. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, there's, there's no, there's no good, uh, good side to that. And I think you have to take it, the same exact attitude, right? You're not going to walk into a cocktail party, meet somebody new and immediately start giving them a sales pitch unless they actually ask you for it. And yeah, that's the unfor- thing. unfortunately a lot of people do, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't work, right? right. So we, we know it doesn't work. The experience and, and you're immediately finding a reason to go get another drink. Um, and, and what works in that environment is also what works in LinkedIn. So you have to go into LinkedIn with the idea that I'm here to grow my network because I actually, I, I want to give, I want to mm-hmm. give my network. That's what creates sales opportunities. We all get the, the connection requests that are just veiled sales pitches. It, it doesn't work anymore. So if, if you go into LinkedIn, you can run a really aggressive connection campaign, but you've got to put the time into connecting with, with the people that really make sense that you really can bring value to. And then if you take the, the same challenger concepts and apply it to that and, and you get a steady stream of content that's really insightful and helpful to your audience, then they're, you know, they're, gonna, they're going to come to you and it's going to create sales opportunities. It's just that work is hard to do. You know, it takes consistency day in and day out. So if you're an individual sales rep and you're, or, or a solopreneur and you're going to run this for yourself, then, then I think you treat it like the golden hour of prospecting. You say... You know, 8 to 9 a.m., I'm going to spend on LinkedIn every single day, and I'm going to send out 30, 40, 50 connection requests a day. I'm going to spend a lot of time in Sales Navigator really nailing the queries and getting to exactly the right prospects that make, that make sense for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put out, you know, my, my goal anytime I'm running a connection campaign uh, for somebody on LinkedIn is to have four to six activities a week that's now keeping you in front of that larger audience that you're creating. Four to six activities, meaning a post, an article? Post, a, a, a comment on a post that you just made. I mean, one of the great things about LinkedIn is it doesn't have the duplicate content issues mm-hmm. that it does. So our idea of creating two longer form pieces of content a month, we can use that multiple times on LinkedIn, write, you know, write one article and then post it three or four times, pulling different pull quotes out of that one article. Right. We can get a lot more depth out of, out of that content. The algorithm in LinkedIn is so much easier to understand what's happening compared to Facebook. So right now, as we are talking, this may change by, by the, by the, <laughs> this out, but right this second, you want to make posts on LinkedIn that are not links because you will get twice the engage, twi- twice the distribution in, uh, in the feed of your audience just by taking the link and putting right, it in the comments. Right. 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 And, and so the data is just really, really clear on that. The click-through rate is just slightly less, but because you're getting twice the exposure, it, the overall result is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, is much higher. And, and, and so whatever amount of time you're spending on LinkedIn, you, you ought to be spending more today because the, the value is just incredible. Hmm. Yeah, and I know, uh, especially in small business, that this is 
often overlooked, right? We did much more rigid, not rigid, but stringent programs. You know, at larger enterprises, they train their sellers how to use LinkedIn and, and Navigator and so on. But like everything in smaller businesses, you know, it's less, uh, less well-organized sales processes, you know, lead gen opportunities and so on, which is obviously an opportunity for you. Um, so how do you, how do you work with those sales teams then, or do you, as part of what your services you offer to help them become more proficient? So they spend those golden hours. Well, I actually think the, the most effective way is to have dedicated resources behind running these campaigns. Of course, that's, that's what we're in the business of doing, but even if Got it. you want to do it yourself, you need to have an assistant in the company that this is what they do. You're comfortable with that person having access to your profile. They're sending out those connection requests they're staying on top of the conversations that are getting created. I mean, the problem with creating all this activity is it's a good problem, but mm-hmm. it creates conversations. Mm-hmm. That only works if you stay on top of it and actually actually respond. Right. And the profiles that work the best are the executive team. So I always want to start with the CEO, the COO, the CTO, whatever the right uh, you know the right contacts are for them in the prospective clients that we're going after. The VP of Sales use that because we're going to create more sales opportunity for our sales team by leveraging the CEO's profile. Mm-hmm. Once we're doing that and we're putting out really great content and we're really understanding the engagement we're creating, then we get to the sales team. But frankly, we want to start with the executive team first because we're just going to get better results from that. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's. It's we're sort of this. You sort of talked about it, this inflection point. It feels like with LinkedIn, where just in the last year, there's been the tidal wave and tsunami of of fake connection requests with you know, as you said, veiled sales pitches. Do you see LinkedIn doing something about that? Um, is there anything they can do? Because I think this is at least in the circles that I will talk to people, and these people are pretty engaged in LinkedIn. A lot of sort of fading enthusiasm for it. Well, LinkedIn has, you know, as you know, they've 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 really clamped down on the automation tools that have enabled uh, a lot of that. Right. Um, if you do it well, it works extremely well. Um, there, you know, there's definitely the risk that that the people who abuse the system are going to push it too far. But but right this second, in terms of the results that that we see, it's extremely effective and and you're losing out if you're not putting if you're not putting that effort into LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And the more people who come in with the right attitude for how to leverage LinkedIn, the the more, you know, the more benefit that we're that we're right. all going. And what we're really you know, our goal is to get to to this point where we start to really get organic growth out of, you know, get to that point where you have enough followers where you can switch to having a follow button instead of a connect button. Mm-hmm. And people coming and just following you on LinkedIn because of the value of the insight that you're providing. Right. That is our goal. Yeah. And, and it works so much better at the individual level than at the, at the, I mean, we want a company page, we want to post content mm-hmm. on it, but all the results come from the individual profiles. We want right. to connect with real people. On right. Right. Yes. As we do in real life and sales, which is, you know, Again, I think we're having this inflection point in sales as well with all the sales engagement platforms and everything out there that we're going through this period where they're not being used, to my way of thinking, they're not being used authentically for the most part. And they're creating, well, we're amplifying bad behavior, basically. Um, 
but that will change. I mean, I'm convinced it's change. That it will change. I'm not sure what's going to drive it, but uh, optimistic in that regard. Yeah, I mean, Facebook is is horribly abused, and yet everybody's still using. Uh, everybody over thirty is still using Facebook. <laughs> So I, I don't think it's going to change the value that we get out of out of LinkedIn because the, the there's you know the network effect is so powerful that right. it becomes the those those challenges that just you know come along for the ride no matter what. Yeah, I agree. Unless something else comes up, I mean that's um, I think just like Facebook. I mean they are so huge, but at the same time, you know, I remember at the start of my career uh, selling computers, IBM had. Almost ninety percent of the market, um, and it seemed like that was never going to change. And within ten years, it changed pretty substantially. So, um, yeah, we're operating in a market that's really unique because it we, we have a winner takes all, but yet that winner changes every ten to twenty years. Yeah, so it's a really it's a great way to put it in the dynamics. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to put it. All right, well, Bill, it's been fascinating. I love to keep on going, but we've run out of time. So, tell folks how they can uh, find out more about Boomtown. And connect with you. Yeah, so you, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Come, come to our site, boomtime.com. Look, look me up on LinkedIn. You'll, you, you will see us demonstrating exactly what we recommend that you do for your business. I want as many businesses to do this as, as possible. You can, uh, I'm following in your footsteps finally, and I've started my own uh, podcast, <laughs> B2B Word of Mouth Marketing Podcast. Episode 11, we, I saw. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> well, because the average the average number of podcast episodes produced before someone quits is seven. So you've you've beat the average. We are still going strong. Excellent. And, you know, my goal is just to lay out the things we've learned because I want I, I just love small business. I want as many small businesses to to be doing the the things that really work for marketing mm-hmm. as possible. You just you got to make the commitment and do it. I love talking to business owners about marketing. I'm I'm at CEO at boomtime.com. So please reach out if you want to if you want to talk about your marketing. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, Bill, thank you very much. And everyone else, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Okay, friends, that was my guest, Bill Bice. Join me again next week as my guest will be Sean Shepard. Coming back for a repeat visit, Sean is founder and CEO of GrowthX, a Silicon Valley venture capital partnership with an accelerator focused on sales as well as an academy that trains people in sales, marketing, design thinking, and data science. And we're going to be talking about a little bit different concept. You're familiar with the term first mover advantage? Well, we're going to be talking about what Sean calls lasting moving mover advantage and how that can impact your business. So be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. The Sales House is my own growth training platform for B2B sellers just like you. If you're a seller who's reached the limits of what the science, quote-unquote, science of selling could do for you, and you're interested in learning about the art of winning, then come check out The Sales House. You'll learn how to master the human element of selling to crush your numbers. So for more information, visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. Okay, thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.